Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology. Now, my guest today is back for a second appearance, and mainly because I'm curious about how his business has been doing. Uh, welcome back, Ryan. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me back. Um, great to be back. Now, last time we spoke, you were starting up uh, your rewaxing service as Malin and Son in Yorkshire. Has business been good? Yes, uh, business has been uh, extremely good, actually. Yeah, the, the last um, the last year and a bit, um, well, we're just approaching two years since we officially started. Um, but when we last spoke, we were kind of on the the, the brink of the next step, really, to, to to kind of really push this push this out after almost um, proving the concept. So, whilst the last year has been you know terrible in so many ways, um, it's actually been really kind to us. So. Um, yeah, we, we, we seem to be just going from strength to strength. Because when you started out, you were basically waxing jackets from home uh, as a side gig, uh, in addition to your regular work, uh, with a dream of uh, making a real company of it. Yeah. Has that happened? Absolutely. Yeah, well, I'm very happy to say it has. Yeah, and I'm as surprised as anybody else listening to, to say that. Um we really do seem to have captured people's imagination with, with what we're doing, um, with both the, the kind of waxing and the story that we're selling around that. Um, it's We are getting customers from the world over. Um, and again, I'm as surprised as anybody when somebody from New Zealand uh, will, will message to say, I, I love the work you're doing. Can you take care of my jacket? Um, so yeah, it's, it's this is a full time real life thing now, and that's taking some adapting to. But um, you, you know, you only you only live once, so let's go for it. I think when we spoke last time, I was sort of sitting with a slight impression of, okay, making a full time business out of waxing jackets. I mean, that's a that's an unusual idea. Um, I hope he manages it. <laughs> yeah, so do I. But uh, <laughs> everything now seems to be pointing in the right direction. I think. Um, it's it's kind of starts with believing in yourself um and then people believing in you and people coming on that journey with you really and and we've been really lucky that people have done just that um it might be because i have a keen eye for for the kind of jackets we work on but everywhere i go i will see one in three people wearing a jacket that we would work on and that tell you that clearly there's custom for these jackets and then as that follows on when people are booking them in um, and responding to things we put out there that that people are kind of you know there's a need for what we are doing um and with that being sustainable over the last six months with a, a regular um income uh, and work and we always kind of envisage there'd be a drop off with summer we were kind of thinking oh let's see what happens then uh, which is why we started looking at doing our own t-shirts with patching and so on um but actually may as it stands is already a record month for us so it's, um, yeah, it's all good. Is this mainly down to you running up to people in the street and telling them that their jacket needs rewaxing? That's, do you know, well, that's actually how we started. So I'd spend my lunch hours in Leeds City Centre approaching people, um, <laughs> genuinely approaching people <laughs> with a jacket. And I said, did you know that I can rewax your jacket and make that look brand new? And they go, oh, please leave me alone. But then, um, <laughs> no, they were actually all right. I think people, especially in, the, in Leeds, uh, us Yorkshire folk, we like to hear a Yorkshire accent. and. It is, it is me selling myself that the name Malin and Son is a play on my surname Malinson. So I'm really aware that, that my heart and soul is in this. And when I talk to people about um, what we do and 
the kind of reasoning behind it is to first and foremost for me to see a tangible outcome so my background in digital design and uh, digital services you don't always see an end outcome to what you do it's, it's a lot of knowledge work and um, all that kind of stuff but taking a thing that needs doing and then seeing an end product is a fantastically fulfilling thing for me and then when I can enthuse about that to cut to, to a customer and say look that jacket you're wearing cost you 400 pounds of course you can go buy a new one by all means do that if you need to but I can actually make your jacket look brand new for 55 pounds and not only that as you kind of look deeper into it the, the genuine sustainability aspect of it is well, we're reducing the impact on on the environment by that jacket not being thrown away and it's kind of win-win for everybody really um so so again yeah it, it we're no longer running up to people in the street um although i might start doing that again soon when i start getting scared about having time on my hands but we're doing that, I guess, uh, more and more uh, on social media. So I'm shouting at people more, doing more videos. And again, people are responding to that. So, um, yeah, we're, we're not quite back on the street yet, but heading that way, maybe. <laughs> so you're building your tribe on uh, on Instagram yeah, instead. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And, and again, we mentioned earlier on, uh, on Facebook, which is a, a strange old place, but... Um, I think one thing that surprised me is is you set out with with ideas of where uh, an idea may go. So when I set this out, you're thinking, right, horsey people are going to be the people who use me uh, 100%. And they are the bottom of the demographic of my customers. Um, it's something that we're, we're now addressing uh, with some some kind of developments over the next few months with, with them and the farming community. But we, we get the majority of our custom from from it's shared between enthusiasts um, and from um, kind of everyday fashion crowd who are now changing their habits and recognizing the need to go, do you know what? I don't want to spend 400 pound on new one. I want to, you know, have look after this one that I've got. So um, that's, that's really good for us really. It is something that surprises me frequently when I see how many almost new wax jackets are for sale, where people are saying, oh, they just don't use it any longer or they want a new one because they'll buy a new one, which is just like the old one, except it's got more wax on it. But it seems kind of pointless. Yeah. Well, I think the, the kind of and I, I use my uh, my friends group from 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 back home and back home 11 miles away. So it's not very far, but. These are people who you'd kind of consider the um, everyday consumer on the high street who would buy the the Bellstaff Race Master or a Trial Master to go to to football on a, a Saturday afternoon, and they'd wear it with their Adidas. Um, I don't know anything about Adidas, but I know they do custom trainers and all that kind of thing. And they're just not aware that you can rewax it, so they'll wear it all winter and then the following winter, and obviously it fades in colour and it stops you know keeping water out. And they're just not aware of the, the the ability to rewax the thing, which I wasn't as well before I um, needed one doing. And then I did a bit of research. Now I know Barber. Um, I've done a hell of a lot of um, marketing over the last year about this, which has been great for my business because <laughs> they're doing their marketing for me. Fantastic, thank you, Barber. But um, again, Bellstaff certainly that they're not doing that, and they've not been doing that. But um, I've been mopping up all of that custom and that's been fantastic for us. And and we have to remember, I mentioned Bellstaff and Barber um, for, for customers who have got a wax jacket from a brand that's outside of that. 
where where would you rewax that? Uh, you know, because there are a lot of small uh, makers of wax jackets these days, aren't there? Absolutely, yeah. I, I think with the dry wax and the sort of modern developments, it has also become. Uh, less specialist and more generally accepted because they're not as waxy and uh, my wife refers to them as my slimy yeah. jackets. She, she has no understanding of the, the glory of wax cotton at all. But um, if there are significant amounts of people who have the same thoughts as she does regarding this fine fabric, then of course there is a problem, but uh, being addressed now by the dry wax developments. Mm, yeah, and I get a, a lot of dry waxed in as well. Um, I'm not a fan personally for what it's worth, but I don't need to be a fan of, of the dry wax stuff. There's some beautiful stuff out there, and I know of um, lots of independent makers um, who are doing some amazing stuff with wax cotton. Um, somebody from uh, she was based in she's from Dundee. She was based in Leeds, which is my hometown. Is Kerry Aldo? I'm not sure if you've. Oh yeah, yep. She makes nice things. Absolutely stunning stuff. And again, the story and the narrative in which she does that is is brilliant. Um, and you know, there's lots of, um, I guess, lesser-known makers. Uh, we mentioned, mentioned earlier, Yarmouth Oilskins, um, Hawkwood Mercantile. Lots of people doing some really good stuff. But when people ask me, um, where should they put their money when it comes to investing? Because these things are an investment as well. You know, if, if my ethos and malignance and ethos is to um, our kind of tagline is rewax, repair, rewear, um, is to keep these things and invest your time, your effort into keeping them good. I'd always say to somebody, look out there on Facebook Marketplace, for example, number one place, because that's a treasure trove of of people who don't know what they're selling, selling things. Um so go there. If you listen to this podcast and you want to buy a, a wax jacket, uh, go on to Facebook Marketplace. But other than that, um, buy, buy used, buy secondhand, because one, they tend to be older. And what I've found with um, through experience, the older jackets are, are better than the new jackets. The, the, there are many reasons for that. Um, and you're saving a lot of money. You really are. And I think as well, if you can put your own piece of history into that jacket you're on scars by fixing certain things patching up then that is your jacket then and that will grow with you and i think that's a big thing we see you know the, the we have so many people getting the, the, the leather capped on the cuffs um and that just that little touch makes it a far more usable jacket and far more unique to that customer who owns it as well mm. i think what you said about uh, jackets being better before um now, Bellstaff, they've been sold around the place a few times, but uh, the Made in Britain Bellstaff, I think, is good. And the first Italian company that owned them, I think after that they went a bit downhill. So we're talking probably mid-2000s there. And incidentally, the same goes for Barber around, I think it was 2005. Uh, their expenditure on components for their jackets was mm. dramatically reduced, i.e. they were using cheaper materials to make the, the jackets. So, say, a border, which would then be made in England, uh, if you can date that to uh, pre-2005, it's uh, better than after that. Yep, I'd agree with that, definitely. I, th I think in terms of the materials and the, the stuff these guys were using, um, I see firsthand, literally on my desk, side by side, so many brands and so many different jackets and and it's, I'm not intelligent enough or smart enough to know the the kind of 
um, intense detail of, of, of how these things are pulled together over the years. I have, a, I have a, a small interest in that, but all I do know on the face of it for me and for the customer is the way they used to make them is, is just far better. I don't know if it's because they were made for a purpose and now they're made for a fashion purpose more. Um, for example, I've got a, uh, I don't have them with me right now. In the workshop, we've got um, a, a trial master that must be 30 years old. And, and it just feels, just feels great. It just feels fantastic. I, I say it often, it feels like it could take a bullet. It really does. Yet I have a hell of a lot of fashion um, aimed bell staff jackets that come in with basic tears and rips where a common fault is under the arm where people have literally lifted the arm up. Oh, I've, I've, I'd, I've, I've ripped it by lifting my arm. Or I was out in the pub, and this is pre-lockdown, mm. I was out in the pub or a bar, and I, I looked down and I've got a rip in my jacket. Now, come on, if you're paying £450 for a jacket, I want to feel that a bear's attacked me and that jacket's still you know, taking the brunt of that. I don't want to be having a bottle of whatever and looking around and think, whoa, where's that rip come from? Um and you certainly feel with the older stuff, it, they just take far more of a punishment. And I don't know if that's because more money was invested into making them or whatever, but it certainly feels like it may have been. I think there must have been some cutoff where they started using a lot more synthetic linings instead of uh, cotton linings, which certainly has a large impact yeah. on the use of it. Yeah, the, I mean, the linings are something that we see issues with every single week. Um, and we the, the, the fabled um, Takito Commander jacket is one example, and the Lutz as well. In fact, quite a lot of the uh, modern barber jackets, certainly the lining in the arms, the polyester lining, that I get customers almost embarrassed to do the phone up and they say, um, I've got this uh, this Lutz, but I can't really wear it because um, I just keep getting really sweaty. <laughs> uh, I'm like, all right, okay. Um, it's a common fault. Or dare I say, fall. It's a common error that I feel they've made in putting that line in those jackets. So we just remove that. We just take that polyester out and, and reline it with um, a, a softer brushed cotton. That just just makes it far more wearable. And that's the thing. These these jackets need to be worn. They were made to be worn. Um, and then when you think about when they're adding these materials in there and these processes, you got to kind of think, who've they tested these on? Because that's not been worn. Because the, the user would have told you at that point, look. This, this lining you've got in the jacket is is rubbish, really. So get rid of it. But going back to the uh, the Commander, there's a, there's, um, it's a beautiful jacket. And it's almost like um, what I'd consider a year-round jacket that I can wear layered up um, through winter. And then in summer, I might wear it on an evening when it's when it's a bit cooler. But again, it's completely unwearable. The There's a, a middle lining between the inner tartan and the outer wax that just holds in all the moisture. So again... We get so many people coming to us and saying, can, can you make it less sweaty? Well, yeah, we can. So we just remove that inner lining and then the customer gets a jacket that's far more wearable. And I just can't understand the reason for it. Well, to be clear, this the Commander is the, the fabled James Bond Skyfall jacket. That's right. So, I mean, maybe James Bond prefers moist arms? Maybe. Maybe. Well, looking at Daniel Craig, I'm not sure what size he is, but a of jacket. Um, right across the back and the shoulders. I don't know if you found that. Have you got you've got a few variations of the commander, haven't you? Uh, I've got a few of the Takito designs, and I'm pretty sure all mine are large. Which 
I mean, I could have had extra large, but uh, I mean, Japanese designers said they could be a little smaller than usual. But um, oh, I found it the... sounds like the commander's very different. Yeah, there. definitely, I've, and, and it's it's one where I've seen. Um, I live near a barber outlet, uh, and I'm in there quite a bit um, as a bit of a fanboy because there's some beautiful stuff that you can pick up in there. And I remember seeing one of the one of the commanders in there, and I'm thinking, oh wow, this is, this is listed up at uh, 150 pounds, brand new. Wow, that's got to be that's going to be mine. And it was, it may have been a medium or a large, I can't remember. And I tried it on with pure glee, only to get to the front. This, this is, you will fit, you will fit. And I have to leave it. I had to leave it on the uh, on the shelf. But again, we get. I've got one coming in from Saint Helens tomorrow. Um, he he's got an XL and a large version of it, and he wants me to create something that sits in the middle of those two sizes because neither size fits in perfectly. And I, I can understand that if you're paying that amount of money for that jacket, and especially if you're buying two, it needs to be wearable. Yeah. You know, it really does need to be wearable. But they have made several iterations of that because the original one in the film is the Takito version right. where they'd cut the collar off or yeah. something or the hood or whatever. But they have made sort of reproductions of it several times. Are they all equally problematic um yes so the beacon sports is a second uh, i think it was a second iteration or maybe the third and i know that that my friend george who who runs a, a wonderful account called wax and tartans will be swearing at this podcast right now saying you've got it wrong you've got it wrong so yeah sorry george um but yeah the various variations again we have the same issues but i guess i can kind of bring that back to each of us being individual and having different sizes and different length of arms and all this and i think what people are doing, there's one gentleman who comes to mind who I've done a, a lot of work on his jackets. If you're paying, let's let's say that jacket's um, a Beacon Sports that you could buy now, maybe three three fifty, three ninety, something like that. If you're paying that amount of money, you want that jacket to fit you perfectly. So if it's two inches too long on the sleeve, then you want to shorten that. So we are making those kind of bespoke additions. That, you know, maybe adding an inch uh, in the width of the jacket to make it fasten just right under over a jumper. Um, it's it's a strange one, really, because I, I don't think I'd ever. And I, maybe I'm um, not criticising anybody here, but I don't think I'd ever see myself paying four hundred pounds for a jacket unless it was um, fitting perfectly. To be honest, but I guess that's where we step in. So, yeah, um, I think the sort of perception of what a jacket should cost is something that goes up over time, uh, and it depends a lot. Uh, on the person uh, i know people like Hebtroco get into uh, discussion with well i'll say not potential yeah, potential customers when they um, talk about their salvage denim and people will say that 150 pounds for a pair of jeans you can get it down at asda for 10 so uh, but again, I, I can't imagine the same people dropping by the Porsche dealership and saying that uh, Hyundai will sell, sell them a car for absolutely. Price. Yeah, and I think it's that um, thing about, about tribes, and I don't like that word because it's it's very on trend, and I don't I don't I don't like trends because they come and go. But when we talk about uh, Heb Troco, for example, and and they, they you know if anybody doesn't follow them, have a look. Uh, and see how they deal with customers well not customers deal with non-potential customers it's, it's quite hilarious <laughs> um it's not for them it's not for those people and that's fine that's absolutely fine um it's about selling to your market and i think what people do buy into is if you are that market because if you're not 
they will see right through it. So, for example, um, Hebtroco, if they didn't live and breathe and wear the clothing that they make and they're producing, nobody would believe it. If there were some chaps sat in their top man clothing behind the camera and nobody knew that, they're not living and breathing what they're selling. So nobody, you know, you just see straight through it, but they live and breathe it and they respond to it in their own way. Uh, that is them. That's their personality. You know, when you're buying Hebtroco, or you're buying a piece of them. And I think that that really resonates amongst that community who want that. They, they, you, you know, I, I kind of mentioned people are now looking closer to home and, th- and seeing people like Hebtroco, and certainly us. They're going, do you know what? I, I want to in, in kind of invest my money into that by buying that product because actually the quality is 10 times that that you see on the high street. Um, Again, with, with me taking a barber that's 25 years old and, and repatching that up and making it into something unique, it's much better quality that you can buy, um, ooh, dare I say, brand new from, from you know some of the, the barbers and bell staffs that are being produced now. So, it's, it, again, it's kind of win-win for everybody. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it, one thing I mentioned uh, before in the kind of pre-chat to this is, is somebody I read a lot on. Uh, is a chap called Seth Godin. And something that resonates with me is, is a phrase he uses um, is people like us do things like this. And that is something like that. It's kind of rhetoric I use with Malin and Son is what do people like me do? Um, what do people like my customers do? And it's kind of working in and around that kind of stuff, which is really accelerating our growth. Um, speaking with my customers, uh, learning from my customers and adapting to what they're saying is is kind of bringing that human element back into it and again uh heb Troco, to use them as the example they are completely human and you know what they don't care who 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 who's think what people think about them they are themselves and they're more than happy to wear that on their sleeves and, it, and it's amazing to see that yeah it can be quite divisive i think though if you're sort of being the sweary yorkshire man that uh that's aforementioned in <laughs> duo r um I mean, it would be a shame to sort of alienate a guy that might become a customer who just hasn't realised. Maybe, yet. but it's working for them, and I think it's it's not the approach I take. I'm I'm a little bit more reserved in that. Don't get me wrong. There's times where you, you sit there and you think, mm, right, okay, I could say so many things, I want to say so many things, but that's not my tact. That's not my style. But that's also about knowing my market. Mm-hmm. Um, Heb Troco know, I assume that if they uh, repost a, a Facebook post of somebody criticising them that their current customer group might buy more from them because they know what to expect and they're like, yeah, this is us, this is part of our, this is what we do. Right? Are you with me? So mm-hmm. it's kind of, there's a big thing in, in continuing to sell to your current customer base rather than wasting all your time trying to sell to new people who aren't interested. So your current customers are interested, they're customers. So if you can keep selling to those people and slowly develop that customer base to be your community and tribe, that's far more beneficial focusing on that than looking over here to the chap who's never going to buy anything. I'll tell you who's good at that uh, from yes. Jackets. Yeah, absolutely. They get rave reviews. I mean, almost five-star reviews every time. And as it turns out, people who buy their jackets are very likely to buy one, two, three, four, five more of them, which is I mean, quite remarkable. Yeah, definitely. And that's the same. Again, Nick's a very, very clever guy. And I say Nick, he kind of puts his face out there more than um, than Emma, I believe, is, is his wife, who's who's fully involved there as well. Um, but again, with, with Fram, you're also buying into the human. 
So Nick is extremely human and he is really vocal in, in sharing all of his kind of um, experiences. And I personally have, have been on a, almost like a pseudo journey with Nick through the years. Um, I know Nick, uh, we speak every now and then, and I kind of look to Nick and learn from people like that. So we mentioned Heb Troco and their almost abrasive style to dealing with, with, with customers. I remember Nick doing that once and he got really frustrated and he shared that frustration in public. And then he also shared his frustration in sharing his frustration. Are you with me? So it was kind of, <laughs> you were seeing his journey yeah. in public of him saying, that isn't me. And, but he's been completely human and people like that. And it's not just about buying into that. It's actually people being themselves and, you know, people like Nick and, and Heb Troco, just to name the two, take risks. You know, these are big risks. People like ourselves, I'm taking a big risk. I'm, I'm 38 and I've walked away from um, a career of 12 years. That was a comfortable pair of slippers. Um, but it didn't fulfill something that, that I have inside. And from what I've done over the last two years, working really hard to get where we are, it's, it, this is me. This is, this is something I believe in. And luckily for me, people believe in. And that's taken us on the same journey. And it, it, we're all on different tracks, but Hebtroco from ourselves, we're on our, our own journey, but all kind of selling ourselves. Do you think the main point here is that you can actually see that who is behind the companies? So it's more of a personal thing. You're becoming friends with the companies. It's not some sort of faceless entity um, like the larger companies where I mean, you could probably Google and find out who the company director is, but they're not actually pushing themselves at all. Yeah. I notice, I notice Yarmouth Oilskins as well. Um, they'll be posting on social media the various people who are working there, what their job is. Uh, for me, it's fascinating. Um, I love seeing the, the faces behind the, the garments, so to speak. I think so. Um, I mean, I speak from experience where. The, the, the stuff I do, we just started last week doing, um, I've not got any to hand because I'm not in the workshop, but brown labels um, with a stamp. So every jacket that heads out of the door gets one final check and it gets signed off by me. Um, and that is something, it might seem a little bit, what's the word, micromanaged, but it's not really the case because I'm waxing the jackets. So I'm making sure that they get waxed, they get finished, and then they get a final check. But that only happened because I had one customer who was a little bit unhappy with what he received. And that made me go, hmm. So at that stage, the, the, the thing he was unhappy with was um, in the seams when you rewax a jacket, you can sometimes get a buildup of wax. So on this occasion, I mixed, uh, I missed uh, the buildup of wax in the seam and I sent it out and he, and he fed that back to me. So based on that, I kind of thought, okay, so how can I improve this? So I listened to what he said and just added an extra check-in. And then I've also now added a label to say that check's been signed off. So the customer is then getting the extra reassurance. And I'm also getting the extra reassurance that what I'm sending out is actually what I want to send out as a representation of me. So again, when we're talking about people seeing behind the curtain almost, we are all removing the curtain. You know, we're selling our souls on, on, on uh, let's say, social media through podcasting. We're talking about what we do, but we also believe in what we do. And People like Nick, um, is it Ed and Brandt as well? That they, you know, they are selling their them themselves, their personalities. So when we talk about the bigger businesses, I use my experience of of trying to get in touch with Barber. Can I? I cannot get in touch with Barber until somebody from Barber phones me up to um, shout at me. But I cannot get in touch with Barber. Um, I just keep getting fended off with 
contact at barber.com. There you go. Just contact them. And with me, if somebody phones up now, I'll, I'll, I'll answer the phone and they can speak to me and say, look, this is what I want to do with my jacket. How can we do this? And I will speak to them in person about how we will do that. And I think that that extra touch of dealing with a face, dealing with a person is, is I know I like that. I know I like to see, like yourself, you, you like to see who's behind the curtain and you like to see who's taking care of these things. Do you think the customers are getting more savvy and demanding? Um, I wouldn't say it's demanding. I think it's more of an expectation. I think when we look at, I don't want to mention COVID or anything like that because we, you know we, that's that's been done to death everywhere. Yeah, it's a bit bit done. But I think yeah. on the back of all that stuff, people were looking, been a bit more introspective and looking inwardly and kind of um, on their doorstep a lot more. So kind of looking at putting back in to their own communities. So that might be with the green grocer. That might be with the um, local shop, the corner shop, and kind of bringing that home a little bit more. And I think they're now looking at what value they're getting for their money. So that, that goes from everything from clothing to food to, to everything. Um, so I do think they're becoming, I wouldn't say more demanding, but they're kind of realizing that the wool that's been pulled over their eyes for so long, um, it, it's now being removed and they're kind of going, hang on a minute. Let's, let's go back to the example of, of buying a Bell staff for £350. Why am I buying another one when I can just repair this one for £55? And I mean, that's a simple equation there. Well, you can save £300 by doing that or just shy of. And then, again, be, be if people have suffered through losing jobs or whatever, it's, it is just, again, making people look at the value in things. You know, a big thing I say at home here with, with my kids is want versus need. And I do walk around with that rhetoric a little bit too much. And it's okay to want a little bit of something. But if you have too much of what you want and not enough of what you need, then I think the balance is, is, is kind of out of sync there. So do, does the thing you've got, does it do what you need it to do? So let's take a jacket. If you're working on a farm, that jacket needs to keep you warm and it needs to keep you dry and all that kind of stuff. So you need to look after that. Um and I do think more of that ethos is definitely coming into the high street and with the high street consumer. And, I'm, and I say that based on experience from what, from what I'm seeing every single day. At the moment, we are on a sort of big um, slow fashion fashion thing. Uh, and I suspect really that uh, taking care of your stuff, repairing stuff plays right into that. So there might be a lot of people who are becoming sort of conscious style slow fashion enthusiasts are sort of getting into yeah, what you're doing now do you think it, do you think it's going to be something that will last i mean i'm, I'm terribly worried about the slow yeah. fashion i hate that name um, it should be conscious clothing or something or other i'm a bit worried that it's going to turn out to be just a fashion yeah and, and that's interesting cause my um stepdaughter's 11 She's not 11. I keep saying that. She's 11 next month. And she's now becoming aware of, of, of clothing and um, what she wears. So um, she's at some you know, very formative time in her life where you want, you, you, know, you want your children to be happy. So you take them on shopping trips. And we went to H&M and the kind of she, – she, she'll only take so much of what I give her. So you've got to give her her own personality to kind of flourish. And I noticed in there the they've got initiatives with stickers all over the wall, with bags that they're selling, all pushing the slow fashion narrative. Oh, yeah. Conscious. Um, but that, 
That's right, yeah. But that's my only exposure to that because I don't, I don't frequent the, the high street. And I also have to say, I, I kind of don't go as deep into, maybe as I could, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say as I should, into the kind of world of slow fashion. I, I kind of look at it from a real skimming the top in, in terms of what I'm doing is at least helping solve the problem of, of throwaway fashion. I mean, I am a massive advocate of, of, of buying quality and buying it once and, and fixing and repairing. Um, whether that's because I'm from Yorkshire and I'm tight, possibly. Um, you know, we like to keep a, a, an eye on our wallets, but it's it's kind of true to my to my genuine moral values of of, of that stuff. I feel um, if I've got too much, I don't like having too much of anything. You know, like we mentioned jackets, you'd think with the amount of jackets I get through, I'd have one of every single jacket. I've actually got maybe three or four that all serve a specific purpose. And if I then decided, oh, I really like the look of that one, that another jacket will get moved on to fill that gap of what I need. Now, I might be very different to a lot of people. Um, so my kind of sustainable, slow fashion outlook on the world isn't, isn't done through any sort of um, real purpose other than a, a genuine inner drive to, to not own too much because that's what's right for me, which in turn is a good thing for for the environment, you know? Um, and again, it's, it's not a conversation I have too much with customers because it's it's more that people just genuinely love the older stuff. Mm. You know, th- these people who will collect the vintage pieces and they want to repair them to make them just right. It's, it's almost like an antique. Um, one landed today that I've got a customer in France and he, uh, like many customers, they will send me things. I'll find something on eBay. And they'll get that posted straight to me. So that won't actually go to the the customer itself, won't see it until it's been through me first. So they will say to me, I've got a jacket coming. It's a Durham. I've got a a line Durham downstairs. Um, I'm going to send it to you. Please run your magic on it. Fix everything that needs fixing and then send it to me as a a finished jacket. We have more and more people doing that to add to their collection. And I'm genuinely astonished at these people who have 10, 12 jackets. Great for me again. But it's, it is, I don't, I guess with the question would have to be posed to them whether they're more conscious of the slow fashion movement or if it is just a hobby. I'm, I'm, I'm really not sure. Well, I mean, the impression I get is that you have a very sensible approach to this, very down to earth, sensible. You don't need more than four jackets. I mean, if someone has, say, a dozen wax jackets, they're clearly a wax yeah, cotton pervert. Right. And there are a lot of them around. Uh, yeah. I won't say anything bad about them. I mean, uh, it's good that they take the jackets in. It's not like they're dealing in sort of jacket trafficking or anything. Um, but no, being serious, I mean, uh, we have such huge uh, mounds of um, discarded, unwanted clothing that uh, is delivered to charity shops. Is um, it sort of finds its way around Europe. There's a reason why you can find so much good stuff on yeah. eBay from That's Lithuania, say. It's not because it was sold there new. It's because it's ended up there on the back of a trailer from some Western country. Yeah, I see you've seen that seller on eBay as well then. <laughs> there's, uh, there's, somebody selling, uh, there's somebody selling a lot from Lithuania on, um, on eBay and there's some beautiful pieces. Um, Poland as well. Is it? There's a seller in Poland who sells a lot on eBay. Um, I found one of my uh, taquitos, I think, was from really? Lithuania. Or was it from Russia? From somewhere that was completely yeah. odd, and it wouldn't have been sold there new 10 years ago. So, mm. yeah. So the, these clothes are finding homes again. 
I mean, they might be used, might be used up, might be passed on, sold again. It's a lot better than that they're discarded into landfill yeah. or frayed into fibers or, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, one of the things about um, passing on is a lot, we get so much, um, so many jackets from people passing them on through generation to generation. And I love that. I absolutely love that. Because um, the story's involved in that. And and, and do you know what? It's, it's I get to meet people and talk to people and hear their stories about a jacket. But that jacket evokes memories from when their they, their dad was fixing the motor. It, here's a good story. I'd, um, so John Partridge is a company I work really close with and the quality of their stuff is fantastic and I get so much of it through. I had um, a customer last year at some point phone me up. Um, her husband sadly passed on, uh, passed away and he, she had his old jacket and she said he used to live in this and there's oil stains on it. There's, uh, he used to posh around the garden. He used to fix the car in this thing. And we have a family friend and I'd really like to fix this jacket up and pass it on. So she sent it in to me. It was before, uh, not long before Christmas. So she sent it in to me and um, we took care of it. And we sent it direct to the, this family friend uh, with a note. And that kind of story to add that, you know, it's, so, it's so trivial. Yet actually there's two people's lives there, three, including my own, to be part of that story and feel good about what we're doing. You know, yes, we're a business and we are making money from doing that. But actually, that jacket is no longer going to be thrown away or left in a cupboard. Somebody's going to get use of a new jacket. And, and this lady, our customer, has done a really nice thing. Who will feel good about that? So, I mean, where's the negative element to that story? And that is a narrative. That's a story that happens a lot. It really does. Um, and if we can add, be a, you know, be a part, a mechanism, a mechanism in that journey... And that's that's fantastic for us. It really is. I can tell my little boy and, and my stepdaughter about that, and hopefully one day when they realise <laughs> that's that's a pretty cool thing. That my, you know, my daddy's not just this weirdo who walks around in uh, smelly jackets, but one day they can tell that story and be, and be proud of that. I like what you said about uh, it not being a trivial thing, because of course, I mean, a lot of garment related stuff. When you sort of look at it really seriously. It is trivial rubbish, but it's the sort of thing that we get interested in and engaged in. But what you did there, I mean, being touched by a, two other people's story is is great. Uh, that's the sort of thing that I need these days. It gives me a bit more faith in humanity. And I think, you know, I've got a, my, my best friend, um, Rob, Rob, Rob and I, we, we chat daily and we listen to, we generally do listen to your podcast and we follow you. Uh, in fact, before this journey, we both followed you on Instagram um, through personal accounts. And we used to chat often about this kind of thing. And we, we were a little bit embarrassed. We often send a message that follows up with a motorbike or a gun just to kind of find our masculinity on the back of a, an in-depth conversation <laughs> on trousers. But um, yeah, we, we, we have this conversation about feeling guilty on, on maybe owning or pining over or wanting something new oh we've seen a new shirt or we've seen these new shoes or this but then we boil that down and when i talk about want versus need yes i will always say i i go for the need over the want but you know what it's actually okay to want things you know we, we, it's, it's kind of an inner instinct within us as humans to want shiny new things it's just as long as we don't put too much value on those things you know that we then cry if if we lose something and, and you know our life is over because we've lost that shiny new thing. It's okay to collect those things. And that brings us back to those 
those vintage collectors and you know you, you can kind of extrapolate that to classic cars to to bikes to all this kind of thing that's absolutely fine that's cool we're not i'm not discrediting those people um it's you know everybody's individual and it's recognizing that fact and, and being okay with that um it, that's absolutely cool it's it, it's just for me it's about boiling it down to need and um that that's my that's kind of my story with that I do often wonder when it comes to wanting stuff, how much of it is a sort of genuine want that stems from deep inside us, that our heart yearns for something or covets something, and how much of it is just the massive machine of the yeah, marketing It, it really is that. Um, I, I, my, um, my previous background as well in the fitness industry, which is really leaning towards that, that sells the, the perfect lifestyle, that sells the perfect body the you know the the body that you're never going to achieve whilst having a happy life you know, back in my days of coaching people it'd be i want abs all right then do you want to smile yeah well you can't do both because you're gonna have to really have a reclusive life to get those abs and maintain those abs so that is marketing you know you, you, that is pure marketing so when we think of jackets for example um i'm not a scroller on social media i'm one of these people who posts and engages with people who engage in my posts um that might sound a little bit um, blind, I guess, um, but otherwise you do fall down the rabbit hole. So I'll see, for example, I follow um, horrible word to some influencers, um, and I guess it's true because they influence. You know, the, 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 these are three chaps who are based in London. You may be aware of. Um, they do all sorts of stuff with with brands. Um, this Tommy Brady, um, a chap called this is Timothy. And uh, a photographer called, uh, it goes under the, the handle of AA Vision. And they've got a really cool little group going on. And they do all sorts of stuff with Barber, Bellstaff, Triumph, um, all sorts of stuff, Harley Davidson. And I find myself, again, I'm 38, I've got children, I'm pretty experienced. In fact, I'm experienced enough because I play this game. I, I sell the aspiration of, of what we're doing to, to my customers. Yeah, I'll see them flying around on their motorbikes and their wonderful jackets and i'm like i i want a little bit of that and then you find oh them them grenson shoes are nice and then you'll find yourself looking at the grenson account and then there's a jacket and you just find yourself down a rabbit hole you don't need any of it you know and i'm not that's not to say don't buy any i'm not saying any of that but it's understanding what you and that's where i boil it back to what i need because otherwise you do go down a rabbit hole and before you know, it's, it's like the YouTube thing. You, you go on YouTube to check how to fix, um, how to do some DIY. And then an hour later, you're looking at um, people falling over water slides or something like that. These rabbit holes that have been created to, um, for, you know, advertising and marketing, uh, marketing companies take you down these rabbit holes to take money out of your pocket. Now, anybody listening to this, I would genuinely ask yourself if you've ever done that, because I'm pretty sure you will have done, you'll, you'll have looked at, your phone to check a message but you'll find yourself maybe go on facebook or instagram and then how many times have you actually bought something be it a five pound purchase on amazon or a 50 pound purchase on wherever and all you did was pick your phone up to maybe check the time or to check an appointment um and that does come back down to the kind of design process where we talk about that's all made around uh, user-centered design and we've all heard the tales of silicon valley and how are these big monsters are manipulating us to do certain things? Now, I used all that to develop my business and my business strategy, but 
I put the human element back into that. And that brings us back to what we say about the, the, the curtain being moved away and you seeing the person who's taking care of your, your jacket, the person that's you know, making your thing that you're going to buy. You know, that's bringing that human element back into it. And people are responding to that. They don't want to be treated like users, which is the word that's used. People want to be treated like individuals. And I do think we're seeing more and more of that. And the more that people respond, the more people will do that. And that's, that can only be a good thing for everybody, really. I'd just like to interject what two words, really, um, regarding the sitting there on your phone and impulsively buying stuff. Um, it's a bit of a pro tip, really, but it's just two words, and that's joint account. Because if you your partner is monitoring your buying stuff, <laughs> that puts a really wet blanket on the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, that is that is actually yeah that is really useful actually. <laughs> yeah, we have well we we've my partner's a, a little bit more impulsive than I when it comes to uh, to buying things, but um, yeah, I'm a bit of a stickler with that kind of stuff. But then again. If I do, I do have a, an excuse. Well, I need to wear it for the business to look the part, you know? <laughs> now, one thing that strikes me is that smaller companies like yours must have a lot of um, potential in aligning, cooperating, well, being friends with other small companies sort of within roughly the same area. So do you have relations to companies, say, that make wax jackets? Um, yeah, we do. We, we, we Again, it's, it's almost like that... Um, Again, here's this word tribe, but almost like um, a collection of, of of smaller businesses. And I don't like that term, small business, because we're all pretty ambitious. But of of all independent businesses that are doing really cool things. So um, one one for example is Yorkshire Soul over in uh, Bradford, not far from us. Uh, Dean, who who runs Yorkshire Soul, um, has got a license to repair Red Wings. So we kind of Dean reached out to me, recognizing that we have a massive crossover in customers. Um, and again, with, um, the, the, the company up in Glasgow finished, finished, um, finished them. Um, mm. we speak, uh, every now and then because we, again, we've got this kind of same demographic of customers and it's just useful to say, hi, you know, we, we, we same with Nick at Fram. Hi, we're, we're all in this together, kind of, you know, against the, the budgets of, of the bigger players that we just simply can't compete with. Um. But then again, what I'd consider a bigger player would be John Partridge, for example, who have been massively receptive to, to what I'm doing and massively supportive. So we, we, they send so much work our way. And we've got a really good kind of open line of communication. Um, again, it's I'm pretty proud. So I wouldn't back anything I didn't believe in. Um, and in terms of quality of, of what they're producing, it's, it's just fantastic. Um, but again, we mentioned Heb Chiroco. Um, they're, they're on my radar to go and pay them a visit because they're just down the road and I know they're keen motorcycle enthusiasts like me, but I'm just scared to um, go in and uh, get posted on social media for saying the wrong thing. So <laughs> so I'm a little bit worried about that. Um, well, at least one of them is a hairy biker. So yeah, I might be all right there. <laughs> but um, us Yorkshire folk, we kind of, we have a, um, what's the word? A kind of, understanding shall we say of each other through grunts often mm. but apart from that grunts and swear words but um there's an understanding well that's good that's good um i think we've uh, pretty much covered what we uh, set out to cover now uh, ryan any um 
final words you'd like to mention? Anything uh, coming up? Um, any any pearls of wisdom to share with other? No pearls of wisdom, I guess, other than currently small business owners. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep doing it and keep speaking. Um, as long as we all kind of stay together, work together, and just be open and, and collaborative, we can only be stronger together. Um, and and that's it. And, and I think just try everything. Just just absolutely try. Because if you don't try, you'll definitely fail. And that sounds very twee, but it, it genuinely is the truth. Um, in terms of what we've got planned, we, we are um, fully immersed in this now. And the pathway ahead, we're just waiting on some kind of big things to, to happen for us. We're, we're about to um, possibly move into a new premises, which is going to be massive for us, uh, almost like a concept premises. Uh, again, I'll park that because I don't want to share too much. We're about to announce doing a big event with um, some big names in, in in Yorkshire at the end of August. Again, please follow our social media to see that. But the only thing I can confirm is that we are heading into John Lewis uh, in, in Leeds City Centre in October for a week, which is massive for us. Um, Leeds is a, is a city I grew up in and I have a store in every corner in Leeds City Centre. So to actually be in the biggest department store in in dare I say, one of the biggest department stores in the north of England to be shouting about what we're doing is, is massive for us. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a big year. Will that feature live Yorkshire waxing? Or... I don't know if we're going to do that. I think it's more... Um, I should have this planned. <laughs> but we are going to definitely sell some stuff. So we've got some of the, the, the kind of handmade woolen stuff that we do, the, the jumpers, some more jumpers coming as well all handmade right here in Osset, Wakefield, West Yorkshire, by the most talented uh, tailor seamstress you've ever met. And I'm not going to share her name, Julie, but I'm not going to share too many details in case she's poached and taken away from me. But um, yeah, we're going to do all that stuff, the hats, we've got some gloves, we've got um, some beautiful stuff coming out. Um, but yeah, it's going to be more of, um, we're going to be right next to the barber section. So um it's going to be fantastic for us. It's as much awareness. We need to make people aware on the high street that stop plowing, wasting money into new stuff when you can repair the stuff you've got. So that's what I'm going to be there doing. Wise words. Okay, right. Thanks a lot. And uh, best of luck. Bye-bye. And this concludes Season 2 of Gormology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Thanks to Ryan Malinson for being this week's guest. You can find him on the web as malinson.com and malinandson on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram as well, just at my blog, about 600 articles and uh, all previous episodes of the podcast, etc., etc., on welldressedad.com. Now, I'm currently working on uh, guests for Season 3 of Gomology. If you have any suggestions, or even like to put yourself forward, do get in touch and uh, let me know. Welldressedad at gmail.com So, enjoy your summer, and uh, we'll catch you again in autumn. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.